Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, it is good to bless you. It's good to be in your house and to hear the voices of your people praising your name. Lord, we proclaimed your holiness in that moment. You are holy. You're not like everything else. You're, you're distinct. You're separate. You're unique from the world. God, I pray we see our need for the Sabbath. Our need to step out of the world and, and to be a part of your holiness in this moment. To step away from the grind. To separate from the stress. Separate and step back from the decisions, the opportunities, the challenges. Lord, I pray as we come into your presence, as we come into your house, that God, we find rest in your holiness. Pray that we would find peace and encouragement. God, would you minister those things right now? Lord, we come in this room today. Gosh, we bring so many different things. And God, you know every one of them. You're intimately aware of each individual person and everything they're dealing with. God, would you minister to them in that area? God, this week, this week, would they see evidence of your goodness and your faithfulness? Maybe in that area that's hurting, that area that they are confused. Oh God, move and work across this room. We want to be in your holiness. We want to walk after you in our holiness that you've provided. We pray this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Well, the church is a place that can evoke some very strong emotions. I hope most of those are, are positive emotions as we watch, as we're a, a part of change lives and meeting God and being a force for good in the world. I, I hope these are things that evoke some very strong positive emotions in our lives. But of course, reality also says that the church evokes some negative emotions also, doesn't it? We can go out there in the community and certainly those outside the church have some negative perceptions at times of the church. Of course, those inside the church can sometimes have negative perceptions of the church. As a matter of fact, I believe there is an issue, I believe there is a topic where the negative perceptions of those outside the church actually intersects with those inside the church. There's a place where both believers and unbelievers alike can agree what they don't like about the church. You know what that issue is. You hear people say it all the time. That, that church up there, they, they always want you to tell the truth. Ah, how offensive is that? No, we don't, we don't really hear people saying that, do we? No, that, that church up there, they, they always want you to love one another, even your enemies. Well, that's That's ridiculous. That, that might be a very challenging idea, but, but that's, that's not what we hear the world talking about the church, is it? No, what they say is, that church up there, they always want you to forgive. That can be kind of offensive, especially if you're the, the victim of somebody's evil. But that's not really what we hear a whole lot about, is it? No, what we do hear, though, out in the world is, and in here, that church up there, they always want your money. Yeah, I'm a little disappointed y'all all knew the answer to that already. <laughs> always want your money. 
You know what? There's a, I think there's a variety of things about the church, right or wrong, about the church that, that people in the world, people in the church can find offensive. There's a whole host of things. I think money probably is the most universal. I mean, just across the board, that is a topic that can get a lot of, a lot of emotions going. I mean, folks, preachers can go to church growth conferences and, and literally be told, be taught, don't talk about money. People in the church find that offensive. People you're trying to reach, that'll run them off. Don't talk about money. We hear the world say, they, they want your money. Who's the they? Now, I, I know who the they is. It's me. I'm very aware of that. I didn't know that till about two months ago. But I was sitting in Ucrops with a member of our church having a cup of coffee at their little cafe up there, and a, a lady approached me, and, and she told me I was the they. She, matter of fact, she told me and everybody in the cafe what she thought of me being the they. All I want is people's money, and I don't do the right thing with it when I get it. She's never stepped foot in our church, never once has heard me preach. But she knows what I'm like. I'm a part of the they. Preachers shouldn't talk about money. You know, Jesus does tell us to tell the truth, doesn't he? He tells us to love one another and he tells us to forgive one another. And because Jesus says those things, you anticipate, you expect me, your preacher, to talk about it. I mean, when you woke up this morning, when you came here, you didn't come here with the expectation that we were going to talk about Obama or McCain. You didn't come here with the expectation that we're going to discuss what, what Dr. Phil or what Oprah thinks. You didn't get up because you know, I think today's the day he's going to talk about what's in USA Today. As a matter of fact, I hope you didn't get up and come here to find out what I think. No, our expectation when we get up and come here to do something we don't do anywhere else in the world is to find out what God says. And i got news for you. They are not asking for your money. It is God who constantly, Jesus who constantly talks about money. Now you say, well, yeah, okay, so Jesus talks about money a lot, but, but why do you always have to talk about it? I mean, Jesus talks about a lot of things. Yes, he does. Do you know he talks about money more than anything? Do you know he talks about money more than heaven or hell? So if your preacher is preaching in proportion to the topics that Jesus talks about and the amount, sooner or later he's regularly going to run by that topic. I also think it's a topic that needs to come up periodically because money is something that every person in this room deals with. And I don't mean just that we use it. We all struggle in a variety of areas with money. Either it's, it's misuse... Or, or the way we make it a God, we rely on it, we depend upon it. It is the source of our happiness, our well-being, our trust in it, our wrong use of it. It's an issue that all of us deal with. Now, I don't talk about money all the time, but we are going to run by it periodically. You know, when, the, when people outside the church talk about the they, now they don't, they don't distinguish you know, the, the church, the Bible, God, the preacher, it's just, it's all a part of the they. But now inside the church, now, we know, we, at least we can't say it out loud, I don't want to hear what God has to say about money. I don't want to hear what God, the Bible has to say about money. We're not going to say that, so we have to distinguish. We have to put the, the Bible and God over here, and we put the preacher, we blame it on him. 
He's the one who talks about it. Or we make a... Who said amen back here? (laughs) Or we make another distinction. It's an interesting distinction because it's a distinction. I guarantee you those who do this, they don't do it on another single topic in Christendom. But on the issue of giving, that's where they separate the Old and the New Testament. Last I checked, we thought the whole thing was the Bible. We thought the whole thing was the Word of God. Now, there is a distinction between the Old and the New. When they say we separate the Old and the New and send under the Old that we get the teaching that we tithe, that we give 10% of our income, that's under the law. We, we, we put that under the law. And that, that teaching is the idea that in, in the Old Testament, when I came to God, I came under the law. There, there was a, a list of commands that I had to keep. And when I didn't keep those commands, and I didn't, and you didn't, nobody did, then there was an entire sacrificial system, an animal sacrificial system, that would then atone, would cover all those places that I, I didn't keep the law. So for me to have access to God... I, I had to cover these things. I had to, I had to cover the law, and, and then I had to go through the sacrifices to cover the places that I didn't cover the law. And that's how people approach God. In the New Testament, that's not how we approach God. We don't approach God anymore by, by how well we've kept the rules or how well we've got it covered that we didn't keep the rules. We approach God, praise the Lord, through the blood of Jesus Christ. By grace, I have access into the presence of God. Money doesn't get me there. And we don't buy ourselves uh, the, the presence of God. The blood of Jesus provides that. And so in this distinction between no longer going to God before the law, now by grace, they say, well, the giving was in that. Well, there was lots of things under the law. We told not to murder under the law. I'm pretty sure we're still not supposed to do that. We're, we're supposed to be faithful to our mate under the law. I'm pretty sure we're still supposed to do that in the New Testament too. But that there's that idea that, you know what, that that's a part of the old. And by the way, the new never actually says we're to tithe. Or does it? Does Jesus address this Old Testament teaching? Let's look and see. Turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 22. First gospel, first book in the New Testament. Matthew chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, I hope you'll get one of ours there in the pew and study along. Matthew chapter 22. I'm going to begin in verse 15. Verse 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to trap him, Jesus, by what he said. They sent their disciples to him with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we know that you are truthful and teach truthfully the way of God. Now, they didn't really believe that. They were just, you know, blowing smoke there. You defer to no one, for you don't show partiality. Tell us, therefore, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But perceiving their malice, Jesus said, Why are you testing me, hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. So they brought him a Daenerys, whose image and inscription is this. He asked them, Caesar's, they said to him. Then he said to them, Therefore, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And to God, the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, so they left him and went away. Now, our story starts with two groups of people, the Pharisees and the Herodians. Now, now these are guys that you would not find, you know, putting together a team for a bowling league, okay? They were not friends, the Pharisees and Herodians. But the Pharisees and Herodians had one thing in common, and that was their hatred of Jesus Christ, And their goal, their desire was to build a following of people who did not like Jesus. And so, ah, 
Man, I've got it. I've got a question. There's no way he can win. He makes somebody angry with his answer. And so they go to him and they ask him about taxes. And you know what? Talking about taxes can generally get us angry, can it? But see, they're asking a question. And it's a question. And by the way, I don't think they care what his answer is. It's an answer. Whatever answer he gives is going to alienate somebody or get him in hot water with somebody. If, if, if he is for taxes, now there's a group of people in Israel that are for taxes. The Pharisees and Herodians probably didn't have a whole lot of problem with it. Because you see, Rome was protecting their, their position in society. Rome was protecting their, their rule and their authority. So they were in a kind of don't rock the boat mentality. You know, if Rome's happy, we're happy. Let's kind of keep it that way. Plus, if Jesus actually said it's wrong to pay taxes, that would make him guilty of treason. So now he's actually a criminal. So if he says, no, don't pay taxes, he's in trouble over here. But if he says, yes, you need to pay taxes, well, there's another group of Israel, and this is most people, this is the common people, the average person, they are vehemently opposed to the taxes, and it's not because of what you think. And we talk about taxes all the time, too high, don't, you know, why do we have to do the government done? They're not having a debate on the rightness or wrongness of taxes. In their opinion, they're God's holy people. And their money is being taken and used for Rome's unholy purposes. So in their opinion, it is literally morally wrong for them to be paying taxes. So if Jesus is okay with Rome and says to pay taxes, then he alienates this whole mass of people over here. So the Pharisees and the Romans, we've got them here. I mean, he loses no matter what he says. And he says, bring me a coin. And he holds it up. He's got an image on it, just like ours do. He says, whose picture is this? Caesar's. Then give to Caesar what is Caesar's. What he's doing in doing this, folks, is he is pointing to the government's authority, including the authority to call for taxes. And you know where that authority came from? God. Government's authority is God-given. Does that mean government always does what is right and good? No. Do they always do what's right and good with taxes? No. But you know what you and I can always rest in? God always holds authority accountable. God-given authority. The government, the church, the pastor, a husband. God always holds authority accountable. Authority can never be used to pursue one's own selfish interests and gains. It's got to be used for how God gave it. And so he says, government has the authority to call for taxes. You pay those taxes. Now, a lot of times when you study this passage, it kind of ends right here. We kind of leave it right there. I mean, that's what this passage is about, is taxes, right? As a matter of fact, I bet some of you, uh, my Bible does, it has chapter titles or paragraph titles. Now, now those aren't a part of Scripture, okay? If you say, hey, your title's different than my title. Is the Bible different? No, the, the titles were added later. And then you'll get different titles on paragraphs. Some of you may have a title above this section that says paying taxes. I mean, is the section about paying taxes? Sure. Is that the, the question being dealt with? Yes, it is. But that's not the only answer Jesus gives. He says, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and what? Give to God what is God's. Give to God what is His. 
Now, now Vogue, you know, doesn't that leave you kind of scratching your head? I mean, if you don't know what's His, does not that statement, that command, that's a command of Jesus in your life, give to God what is His? You have to ask the question, what's His? How much? And by the way, do you notice the parallel structure being made here? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, give to God what is God's. Who determines what Caesar gets? Last I checked, it was Caesar. I tried this once. I sent a little note. It said, Mr. IRS, thank you very much for the brilliant job you're doing. I would like to make a contribution to the great work of the United States. Here's $100. You, you, want, you want a copy of that letter? You can send one this year. And we can all go where together? To prison. You don't get to pick what you give to Mr. Caesar. He determines that. Guess what? See the parallel structure? Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to God what is whose? His. It's his. It's already his. I may be holding it. I may even be spending it. But make no mistake, it is his. Now, how do we know what is his? What's the amount? Now, you and I scratch our heads. I don't know. There's no percentage here. There's no dollar amount here. How do we know? But you know what? There was no question for who Jesus was talking to. The answer is in the context. The context of the speaker the context of the audience, the context of the writer of this gospel. You did know Jesus was Jewish, right? He's a Jew. His scriptures were the Old Testament. His audience was Jewish. They were trained and educated in the Old Testament. The writer of this gospel, Matthew, was Jewish, and he was writing a particularly Jewish-flavored gospel. It's a gospel for you and me. You and I can read Matthew. And come to know our Lord and Savior. But when Matthew wrote this under the inspiration of the Spirit, he was aiming it at the Jews. That's why when you go through Matthew, it's got more Old Testament quotes than any of the other Gospels. It's got a, very, a lot of Jewish knowledge, a real Jewish flavor to it. And all of this, the writer, the audience, the speaker, they all knew what belonged to God. Ten percent. There's no question. Jesus is not challenging a number. He's not putting out a new idea. He's not correcting anything. When he says, give to God what is God's, everybody there would have understood he's referring to the tithe. Tithe is a Hebrew word. It's literally transliterated into the English language. If you're saying tithe, you're basically saying a Hebrew word, and it literally means 10%. Now, Jesus said that 10% is his. It already belongs to Him. Now, truth of the matter is, Scripture teaches that everything we have, our life, our breath, our body, and every single penny that goes through our fingers, it all belongs to Him. We acknowledge God's ownership. We honor God's ownership by giving Him back 10%. Everything belongs to Him. Now, I want you to understand, I want you to see real clearly the Hebrew mind. I want you to see what somebody sitting there listening to Jesus was thinking and what Jesus would have been thinking because it's his word. Turn back with me one book, one book to the left to Malachi. That will cross us into the Old Testament. Malachi chapter 3. Malachi chapter 3. Boy, it's nice to be sent back into the Old Testament. It's only one book away, isn't it? Makes it easy. Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. 
Okay, maybe I should turn to Malachi chapter 3. That was Matthew chapter 3. <laughs> Here we go. I was saying, that's not at all what I wanted to read. Here we go. Matthew 3, 7. Since the days of your fathers, you have turned from my statutes. You have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you ask, how can we return? This is God speaking. Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You ask, and wouldn't we all ask this if God actually looked us in the face and said, you're robbing me? How? How, how did we rob you? I didn't do that. I didn't know I was doing that. God's answer, by not making the payments of 10% and the contributions. My, my translation here says 10% and the contributions. Yours may say tithes and offerings. The tithes was the beginning point. The minimum offerings, contributions, was anything given beyond the tithe. Verse 9. You are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full 10% into the storehouse, so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. There are five things, or at least five observations I'm going to make about this passage here about giving. The first one is, and it's not as much about giving, but notice God's talking, to peop- talking about people returning to Him. Apparently, when we return to the Lord, we should consider if financial reconciliation is necessary. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? I mean, there's people in here today. I mean, you're, you're here, you're, you're, you're wanting to return to the Lord. You're wanting to, to find out what He has for you. You want to get in the center of His will. You want to get in the center of what He has for your life. And you've been thinking, I've got to get back to the Lord. And, and you know what? The Scripture actually talks about a number of things that are involved with returning to the Lord. But, you know, I never noticed this. I've read this passage lots of times. I've never really thought about it that way. That, that returning to the Lord might include... Financial reconciliation. It did for this group. He said, you want to return to me, and yet, boy, we are way out of balance in the ledger here. And then God clearly defines what giving is. Giving is 10%. It is the tithe. And that He says not to give the tithe is literally to rob Him. Again, I think we could say, well, I, I didn't feel like I was robbing Him. That's not what I was trying to do. That was not my intent. Well, unfortunately, what you thought, what you felt, what you were trying to do is not the issue. The issue is what God said. He says to not give the full, do you see that? The full 10% is to rob him. And apparently, to not be in the right place with this, with the Lord, has the potential of bringing a curse. To be in the right place has the potential of bringing a blessing. And then the story, the passage ends in a really kind of a strange way. God says, test me. Now, I say that's strange because all through Scripture, Old and New Testament, it's considered a sin to test God. Both in the Old and New say, don't do that. Remember when Jesus was being tempted by the devil? And he said, you don't put the Lord your God to the test. And yet this one issue... This one place in Scripture is the only time God invites people, test me. Test me. See what is in my heart. You know, I think sometimes, and I think that's part of the negative perception, God God needs something from us. God's trying to take something from us. Folks, you've got nothing to offer God. You're not going to bring Him. Oh my gosh, thank you for bringing that. Now I can do everything I needed to do. 
No, God's not waiting. And if we could just do this, then if we could just... God doesn't need anything we have. God's not trying to take anything. He says, give. Test me. See what my purposes are. See what my blessings are. See what my will is in this. See what I can mean and do in your life. One other passage I want to look at just real briefly to give some insight to those who would have been sitting there listening to Jesus. Proverbs 3, 9. It says, Honor the Lord with your possessions. A command, honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first produce of your harvest. I think that word first is very important. It is used throughout Scripture on giving. First means the first place I go with my money is God. That is actually the passage I would use to say we tithe, I tithe on the gross, not on the net. To tithe on the net means I let the government go to my money first, and then once they were done, then I honored the Lord. But Scripture says, no, 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 you clearly go to God first. I'm depending upon Him, not government. So we go to Him first. The other thing that's interesting about this command in Proverbs is Proverbs is not a part of the law. You know what Proverbs are? Proverbs are general principles for living. They worked for a Jew as well as they did for a non-Jew. They work for unbelievers as well as they work for believers. Proverbs are general principles on making life work. Here's a principle. Honor the Lord with your income first. Honor Him first with your income. By the way, notice, notice I said the word income I had somebody ask me after the last service, I meant to say this, and I didn't say it. Somebody said, what if you don't have a job? What if you're without a job right now? That's the beauty of God's command. He's not calling you to print money. If you make nothing, guess what 10% of nothing is? It's nothing. 10% is 10%. It's 10% of $10. It's 10% of $10,000. It's 10% of $100,000. 10% is 10%. Honor the Lord with your income, with your produce, with your harvest, with the product of your work. Honor Him first. Folks, if we have a problem with giving, it's not with the church. It's not with the pastor. It's not with the Old Testament. It's not with the New Testament. You've got a problem with God. God says to give. Jesus says to give. As a matter of fact, I've said this before preaching. Uh, I say it almost jokingly. You really don't want to talk about percentages and run to the New Testament. Because the New Testament is not going to help you any. Because every time giving is talked about in the New Testament, it's pretty scary the percentages that are used. Y'all remember that time when Jesus was watching a worship service going on and he stopped it during the offering and pointed to somebody? Can you imagine that? Well, that'd have to make you tense up a little bit. Well, you were singing and the plates being passed and Jesus himself said, Stop right here. I want you to see what this person's doing over here. That'd be like hot potato, wouldn't it? She had it. And he stopped and said, I want you to see the widow. And as Jesus stopped that congregation and said, I want you to see the widow, he wasn't just stopping that congregation, was he? He was stopping everybody who would read Scripture for the rest of history. Look at this widow. How much did she give? 100%. Jesus said, look, she's giving everything she has. You call me crazy. I'm thinking 10% is looking pretty good. Remember Zacchaeus? Jesus said, stop and look at what Zacchaeus is doing. How much did Zacchaeus give? Half. Half of everything he owned. When the rich young ruler said, I want to follow you, Jesus said, give how much? 100%. 
Yeah, ten's not so bad. Ten's pretty good. Jesus talks about it all the time. Now, there is a change. Notice now, there is a change from the old to the new in the area of giving. You see, in the Old Testament, it wasn't just the tithe. There was a tithe. Then there was certain festival offerings. Uh, When a man reached 20, he had to atone for himself, and he gave one-fifth an ounce of silver, and that was for the upkeep of the tabernacle. There was a variety of things you paid throughout the year. And you know what? There was a little bit, not by God's design, there's a little bit of an attitude that this is a tax. This is a bill. In the Old Testament, that, that giving was being directed almost like getting an invoice and being billed. In the New Testament, this is what changes the heart. God says, I want it coming from your heart now. I'm not invoicing you for this. I, I, I want you to give. You see, what changes, God doesn't take giving out of the life of a believer. What he takes is the invoice. And he says your, your heart should be directed. It should be about worship. It should be about obedience. It should be about love. And you know, I have, I found myself, I, I think maybe getting more legalistic in my old age, although still very young, make no mistake. <laughs> because I would say for the bulk of my ministry, I've taught people who've come to me, said, how do I start doing this? I have on more than one occasion said, man, you know what? Start. Start. You know, do, do what you can. Get started with something. But you know what? I, I think that's wrong. Because you see, folks, I am a pastor. I am the preacher. I am the one who calls for it. And do you know that one day I will stand before God and I will have, none of you will ever have to do this. I will have to answer for every penny I called from you. And I'll have to answer for every penny for how it was spent. So believe you me, I'm very aware that I will stand before God and speak for what I told His people. And, and based on what I've learned in Scripture, I don't think I have the right to tell you just to start somewhere. Because I have not found, I might be wrong, please by all means somebody tell me if I am, if you can think of it. I've not found one instance of giving between Genesis and Revelation that is less than 10%. Not one. Not one time did God stop and say, look at this. That, that communicates something, doesn't it? I mean, that, that stands out to me. Not, how many pages does your Bible have? Mine has almost 2,000. That's a lot of pages to talk so much about giving and not one single time reference less than the tithe. And when Jesus says here, give to God what is His, what's His? God's people have only been taught one thing, the tithe. You know, churches and pastors have done some, uh, some interesting things with money, haven't they? And that, that makes it pretty hard to give. That can make it pretty... I mean, I guess we're all familiar right now. What is there, half dozen or so preachers that are in the news because uh, the, this senator is after them because of the incredibly wealthy lives that they live? And where'd they get that money? God's people given to the Lord. Yeah, you see something like that. And I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that probably had something to do with why that lady uh, accosted me while I was having a cup of coffee at Ucrops. Um, that probably had something to do with it. And, and then you go over to a whole other area and you, 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 you look at how the church spends money. And you know, there's some of you, very, very honest, very genuine, could say, man, I, I think that's too much money in that area. Or, or I don't think we do enough or spend enough over in that area. So we can just be in disagreement 
on, on how the money is being used. Man, a little bit hard to say, but I don't think the church always has the best reputation for, for good sound business practices. And so, you know, you start adding up some of these things and, man, it can be hard to give. It can be hard to think that's a good thing to do with your money. Now, folks, I hope you do trust your pastor. I hope you do trust your church. We're going to take the next week or two. We're going to show you some of the things that happens with your money and how it's being spent. So you have a very clear knowledge, a very clear understanding of where the money's going, how it's being used. I think, I think you're going to be very excited. I think you'll be very proud to see, wow, our money is doing that in all of those different areas. I remind you, we are, most churches are not. Our church does an external audit. We have an independent firm come in and do an audit uh, of our books every single year. And we get the highest marks for our business practices and our accounting. But I want to throw a curveball at you. That's not why you give. You don't give because you agree with the way every single penny is being spent or because you see that it's being handled appropriately and, and like you out in the business world are forced to handle it. You don't give because you're excited with what you're... You give because Jesus told you to. That's it. The same Jesus who, who told you to tell the truth, the same Jesus who told you to forgive one another, to, to love one another, He said to give. Whatever your issues might be with a church, with a pastor, with the Old Testament, with the New Testament, please don't deceive yourself into not hearing what your Savior said. Give to God what is His. God says a lot in Scripture about money. And I don't mean just giving. He, he says a lot about all the other things you and I need to do with money. Spending, investing, and, and, and saving, and dealing with debt. Man, the best financial principles in the world are in Scripture. They will build the financial life that you want. They don't fail anybody. That's actually a part of what we're going to be talking about next week. Talk about the other side of this. There's giving, but then there's, man, building the financial portfolio, the financial well-being that I want to build. We're going to talk about that. What? The Bible just says, hey, first things first. First things first. You know, we're in here today. You get up, you come to church. You're coming because you want something. I want God to speak to me, to help me, to encourage me, to answer me, to heal me. We want something from God. Well, are, are we honoring Him? I'm not talking about buying an answer, paying for His help. Let me put it this way. Let's say you, uh, let's say you work for a company and you're embezzling from that company. Been embezzling. You've been embezzling from them for years and years and years and years. We, we hear news stories about that every now and then, don't we? Remember the one the preacher stole from the church, like 600000 Here in Richmond, I won't tell that story. That's a bad story. Let's say you, you, you work for a company. You're embezzling. You've been doing it for years. And your boss knows. They, they haven't confronted you yet. They haven't arrested you yet. But they know. And you come into his or her office and you say, uh, uh, you know what, I've only got a week of vacation left, but man, with what we got planned, I could really use a week and three days. Could I have that? Or, or you know what, this project you've got me on has really become kind of overwhelming. Could you, could you direct a little bit more of the company's resources, a little bit more personnel, my direction to handle this project? Now remember, he knows you're embezzling. What do you think his attitude's going to be? 
What would your attitude be if you're the boss? Why should we anticipate God's being any different? I want something from Him. Am I embezzling from Him, though? See, it's not paying Him back. It's not buying an answer. It's honoring Him because it's His. Oh, gosh, man, what do, well, what do we do to fix this? It's the simplest application of all. You give 10% of your income. You know, that can sound like such an overwhelming mountain, especially right now. I mean, most of us just got Christmas's visa about two weeks ago. And we're scared to death right now. I mean, oh my gosh, 10 that's just overwhelming. You know, what, what about if we just took one week? What, what will you make this week? Well, I mean, what's your annual income? Divide it by 52. What do you make? Take this week, bring 10% back next week, and do what God says. Test them. You know, I have people ask me, usually after sermons, like, do you really do that? Do you, do you really? Honestly, do you give? Do you do the gross? Do you do all that stuff you're talking about? Yes, folks, I do. Karen, I've been married 20 years. Every single year of our life, we've never given less than the tithe to the Lord. Now, right away, you're thinking, ah, you're not supposed to talk about money. Matthew chapter 5 says, don't brag about giving. You're right. Matthew chapter 5 says, don't give, don't pray, and don't fast to draw attention to yourself. I'm not doing that to draw attention to myself. I'm doing that in the model of David in the Old Testament. I'm doing that in the model of Barnabas in the New Testament. It says leaders do talk about it. They are an example for the people. This past year, Karen and I gave 21% of our total income to this church. And that wasn't all we gave. We gave to a variety of ministries outside of our church. 21%. 21! I thought we were talking about 10! Yeah, we gave 10%. And I use this phrase in Malachi, storehouse. I always give the tithe to the general budget. That's caring for the storehouse, the running of the ministry in this place. And like many of you, Karen and I have a building commitment that we're trying to meet, and, and that's where that other 11%, plus some youth mission trips and Lottie Moon and some other things that added up. I don't always give 21. Please don't think I've done that all my life. I think last year it was 18. This year will probably be 20 because I'm hoping to wrap up my building commitment in June. Next year, I'm hoping to bring that down. Does that sound bad? I hope not. I, I, man, I've got four kids to get in college and, and bills. and I, I, I don't, Lord, I'd like not to stay at 21% next year if it's okay. But this year, I've got a commitment to give to him what is his, the 10 and then an offering toward the building on top of that of 11%. You know, God has never failed me yet. Not once. Uh, you make a lot more money than I do, I bet. That's the beauty of a percentage. 10% is 10% is 10%. Has the same impact on my life that it'll have on your life. God has never failed me. And He says, I want you to test me. I want you to test me. Will you go home this week, figure out 10% of this? I'm not asking you to make a lifetime commitment. Next 20 years, the rest. This week. Figure out what's my income for a week. And will you bring 10%? And when you put it in the plate next week, God is giving you permission to say, God, here it is. I'm putting you to the test. This scares me to death, by the way, Lord. What are you going to help me do in the other 90 how are you going to show your faithfulness and your goodness in, in other areas of my life? God, you said, put you to the test. I'm trusting you. It hurts. It stings a little, Lord. But I'm putting you to the test. Will you come back next week with 
put him to the test? Let's pray.